If you're a true child of God, there is in you a desire to live well for the glory of God. Any real Christian wants to obey their Savior. So why do we fail so often? Today we'll attempt to answer that question. Welcome to the ministry of the Bread of Life. I'm Joel Van Hoogen. It's been my honor to be the Bible teacher for this ministry for over 20 years. This is a program of the International Ministry Church Partnership Evangelism and its Missions Fellowship, the Bread of Life in Boise, Idaho. You can learn more about our work by going to traincpe.org or breadoflifeboise.org. Today, we take up an important question. Why do those born again of God fail so often to live a life expressive of that new birth? What's the reason? Well, seeking the reason for the command of God is the first step in understanding the reason why we fail to obey that command. And it's also the first step in finding the reason behind how to live well to the glory of God. Every one of us has had that experience where we've tested our parents' direction or command to us. You remember it when you were a child, when your parent gave you instruction that you were not at the moment ready to fulfill or you didn't see the necessity of doing it in the time span that they gave you, like immediately. And so the question you asked was, why? Why? Why do I have to go to bed? Why do I have to make my bed? Why do I have to clean my room? Why do I have to take a bath? Why was the question we asked. And you'll remember your parents' answer, particularly when they just wanted you to do what they told you to do, which was, because I said so. You'll remember those kinds of responses that parents gave us to the commands that they offered us. I came across a wonderful quote this week that actually changed what I wanted to speak on. I thought we would go back to our series that we've been preaching on, but I've decided to delay it for just a moment to talk about this topic we're talking about this morning. And the quote was from Andrew Murray's book, Humility. Here's the quote. I want you to listen to it. I'm going to mention it a couple times. I'll say it to you, repeat it to you twice. Think about this for a moment. God has so constituted us as reasonable beings that the greater the insight into the true nature and absolute necessity of a command, the quicker and more complete will be our obedience to it. There's a, there's a secret here. It means in my teaching, in my instruction to individuals, my obligation when bringing you before God's commands is to instruct you into the true nature of that command and its absolute necessity. And if I'll do that, I will expedite your capacity and ability to give quick and thorough obedience to it. Listen to it again. God has so constituted us as reasonable beings that the greater the insight into the true nature and absolute necessity of a command, the quicker and more complete will be our obedience to it. Now, If this is true, then again, our mission in leading people to obey all that Christ has commanded them is to help them gain a greater insight into the true nature of that command and then help them to gain a greater insight into the absolute necessity of that command. If we look at any of Christ's commands, we would then ask something like this. What is the true meaning or true nature of this command? Where does it derive its moral authority in our lives? What is its importance? In other words, why? Why is he giving us this command? And then we're to further ask as to its necessity. Why is this compelling upon my life? Why is this necessary to produce the outcome that he's seeking from my life? What this means is that asking why is a good thing when you come before a command. It means that our moms and dads were not correct in simply saying, because I said so. If my mother had taken the time 
to explain to me what a bath does for you. Maybe a five or ten minute lecture where I had to stand still, look in her face while she told me all the reasons why it was important for me to take a bath every Saturday night. I would have probably at some point in time stopped asking why. Because I wouldn't wanted to hear that ten minute lecture. I would have said, oh, I'll just do it. Let's just take the, whatever it was. The point is that God wants us and God has designed us in such a way that we ask why. And God wants to reveal to us the nature and necessity of his command. And so to aid us in a proper, thoughtful, complete obedience to what Christ has commanded, I want to take you to three commands of God that I think are all connected and I think are foundational to all the obedience that we might render to Christ in everything that Jesus commands us. In other words, these three commands, if we begin to understand in part at least something of their nature and their necessity, they will inform and help us in every other command that we come before. And so let's look at them together. And let's start with Colossians chapter 2. Turn to Colossians chapter 2. And let me read to you verses 6 and 7. Colossians 2, verses 6 and 7. I hope you want to obey the Lord Jesus and follow what he commands you and see that happening more consistent in your life and here's how you'll get to that point. And here's how you'll get to it with more vigor, more power, more strength, more ability, more enabling. Colossians 2 verses 6 through 7. Paul writes, As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith as you've been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. The command there is in verse 6, and the command is to walk. It's to walk. The Greek tense there has a durative emphasis. So the idea is continue and endure in walking, and we're told to continue to endure or walk or live in a certain way. We're to live and walk in the same manner in which we began this new life in Christ this new journey, this new adventure that he set us on. We're to live and walk in the same exact way in which, in the same manner in which we received and were initiated into this life of faith. And we're to endure in living it in that way. This is the command. And in verse 6, by the way, there are two verbs. And the first verb comes at the front of the sentence. And the last verb comes at the very end of the sentence. So in the Greek, it would kind of read like this. Therefore, as you received... That's the first verb. As you received Christ Jesus the Lord in him, walk. And there's the second verb. And that means that the center of the sentence is this. Christ Jesus the Lord in him. I want you to understand that all of our actions are to surround the Lord Jesus, who is at the center of every appropriate response to him and to his command and his will for our lives. Christ is to be at the middle of all we do and all we live and all we say. Then verse 7, we have not here in verse 7 a description of how it is that we receive the Lord Jesus. Paul is not saying to the people in Colossae, this is how you receive the Lord Jesus. Instead, Paul is saying, this is how your life will bear out and demonstrate itself if you will continue to receive the Lord Jesus in the exact same way that you received him. If you'll continue to walk and follow and live out your life of faith in the Lord Jesus in the same manner in which you received the Lord Jesus, here's what's going to be produced from your life. Here is what the evidence will be that will be built out of that commitment or that lifestyle or that pattern that you begin to establish and carry out. You will be planted into Christ. 
you will be rooted into Christ and then you will be built up spiritually through Christ and then your life will become established or the idea is unwavering in your commitment to Christ and finally you will abound in Christ. Your life will become abundant in Christ. But this rooted, growing, unwavering, abounding life will require that those individuals that Paul is writing to and we who are reading now maintain a practice, a walk of continuing our Christian life in the exact same manner in which we began our Christian life. I want to explain to you exactly what that is, but first I want to go to the next command. In fact, I think the next command will actually explain to us the manner in which we began this Christian life. Go to James chapter 121. James chapter 121. Here's what James writes. Therefore laying aside all filthiness and the overflow of wickedness, receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Laying aside all filthiness and the overflow of wickedness, receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. That implanted word is something that you already possess that the people James is writing to have already blessed. It's, it's rooted in them. It's implanted in them. And that word is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the word who became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory as the only begotten of the Father. And when we believe in him, John chapter 1 verse 12 says, when we receive him, we are given the right to become the children of God. We receive him. He comes into our life. He is implanted into us. And when, by the way, we receive Christ, not only was Christ at that moment implanted in us, but as we read in Colossians 2.7, we were rooted or planted into him. There are the, the two sides of the wonderful truth that was found out in our saving moment. In that moment, we were planted into Jesus Christ. In that exact same moment, Christ was planted into us, implanted and rooted in our lives. But here's the command of this verse. The command is to receive and the manner of the reception is explained. How it is that we're to receive. We're to receive by putting off or repenting of everything that defiles or anything that bubbles into our life that is bad or malignant and, and, and is infested with the malignancy of sin. And we're to put those things off. That's repentance. And then with meekness or self-emptying, we are to receive the word that's already been planted in us, which is able to save our souls. And here, the phrase salvation is not speaking of the fact that it saves us from the penalty of sin. When I believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, I was rescued from the penalty of sin and I was given everlasting life. But here it's speaking about that salvation that works within me to save me from the power of sin so that I might live to His honor and His glory. And James is going to be writing a book that is full of instructions of how the Christians are to live, what they're to do. It's, it's going to be full of commands. But before they come to those commands, this command is foremost and most important. They have to continue to receive, as they received in the past, that implanted word. How do they receive it? By repenting and turning away from the sin in their life. By repenting and turning away from every outgrowth or expression or bubbling up of that which is malignant or evil in their lives. And as nothing, in complete meekness, and complete abandonment, receiving into themselves 
the Lord Jesus. Before their sins and before the temptations they face, they are to learn to say, not I, but Christ. Before their temptations, they're to say, not my will, but your will. We are to be always believing by always receiving what we already have implanted within us. The command is to believe in a certain way, in the way of turning out from all that is not of Christ and in the way of receiving all that is of him and of himself so that we can live an obedient life from day to day and moment to moment. Now that takes a discipline and that takes a watchfulness and that takes an application. In John chapter 15, I I want to read to you verses 4 and 5. We read it in our scripture reading today. So John 15, verses 4 and 5. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless you abide in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. The command here is to abide, it's to remain in Christ. Remain in me, abide in me. Christ then adds, and I in you. And and, and there he is not giving himself a command. He's not commanding himself to abide in us. He is giving us a promise. If we will remain planted in him through receiving faith, he will remain implanted in our lives in life-giving, fruit-bearing power. Well, thank you for listening to the Ministry of the Bread of Life. To learn more about our ministry, let me suggest you go to one of two websites. First, go to traincpe.org traincpe.org to learn more about the work we're doing all over the world to equip and engage the body of Christ in personal evangelism, discipleship, and church planting. Or to learn about our work in your community, go to breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, God bless you.